We started a new series last week. We kicked off a new series on stewardship. And I just felt like the Lord wanted to highlight a few things and take a few weeks and talk about stewardship. So in that, in that series, we're, we're talking about our money. We'll do a message on money, our bodies, our minds, our time. And last week, we talked about um, how to steward the time that God has given us. And the, this is the question we asked. The question we asked was, how, do you, how to understand the purpose of the season that you are in? All of us are in a season individually. We're all in different seasons of life. And as a church, we're in a season. As a city, we're in a season. As a country, we're in a season. But individually, we're all in seasons. Every season has a different purpose. And so two things we wanted to identify is what season are you in in your life? And what is the purpose of that season? If you don't know what season you're in and you don't know the purpose of that season, it is very likely that you would misuse the time that you have. It was it very likely that you would just you live your life kind of hodgepodge. So we talked about that last week. If you missed that message, um, you can go to citylights.church and um, the message is called It's Time. Click on the media tab. You can watch it there. You can also subscribe to um, our messages. Um, we, we podcast our messages and just search City Lights Church Greeley and it'll pop up and you can, you can uh, read, it, read it. You can view it. No, you can't view it or read it. You can listen to it. So... <laughs> I'm going to be clear on that. Um, you can listen to it. We don't have video, but you can listen to it there. All right? Um, so today, um, we're going to talk about uh, another aspect, another dimension of stewardship. Um, I want to talk about stewarding our minds, okay? Your mind is probably the greatest resource that you have been given, right? I mean, your mind is a tremendous resource. Um, without your mind, it doesn't matter how good your body works, like you still can't um, do and fulfill the functions that God has given you in life to do. So, um, so today, the, the title of today's message is called Matters of the Mind. And before I really get into this, I want to say that I'm kind of using the, um, the idea of the mind and the heart interchangeably, okay? I realize that there are different Greek and Hebrew words in the Bible for, for my, your mind and for your heart, but I'm kind of using these terms interchangeably. I'm just going to highlight them real quick, and then I'll talk to you about how they tie together. So let's look at the Greek word for mind in the Bible. Um, it is this uh, mind, it's strong, uh, 3563. It's the God-given capacity of each person to think, to reason, the mental capacity to exercise reflective thinking. So this is the mind is the intellectual reasoning side of us, okay? We all have that. Some have that more than others, right? <laughs> then there's the other side of our thought life, okay? This is what, what the Bible refers to as our heart. It's actually not referring to this organ that pumps blood, but it, it, um, the heart is this. It's um, Strong's 2588. It's the heart, uh, the effective center of our being and the capacity of moral preference, it's the desire uh, producer that makes us tick. It's um, our desire decisions that establish who we are, okay? So the intellectual, reasoning, problem-solving part of us and the moral, intuitive, driver side of us, those two things actually work together and they make up, they, they work together in tandem and they make up your thought life, okay? So there's two sides of kind of the same coin. There's that intellectual um, solving problems side of us. There's that intuitive moral compass, the heart, okay? Those things work together and it, and it comprises our thought life. Both of these things need to be stewarded, okay? And cultivated. Both your mind and your heart needs to be stewarded and cultivated. And I want to issue kind of a warning to us in this culture that we live in. Don't let the world around you steward your thought life. 
Okay, don't leave that to default because you will not get where, and you will not produce the thoughts that God wants you to have by leaving this to default, okay? You will not by default cultivate the thoughts God wants you to think simply by coming to church and professing Jesus. We actually, there's some intentional things we have to do to make sure that we're cultivating the mind that God wants to have, the heart that he wants us to have, okay? I know people who have walked with God, um, you know, you would think being a Christian, you would become more spiritually mature just as time goes on. That tends to happen, but I know people who have walked with God for years and years and years, and they're still spiritually immature, right? Uh, on the other side of that, I know people who have been saved only a short period of time, and um, man, God, they've allowed God access to their, through their mind. They've allowed God access to do a deep work in their heart, and they are more spiritually mature, some people who have been saved a short period of time, than people I know who have been saved 40 years, Right? Sometimes you talk to someone and they're like, yeah, bless God, I've been saved for 40 years and I'm, you know, I know Jesus. I'm like, yeah, but you're selfish and stingy and you're a jerk, you know. <laughs> so apparently it didn't take, you know, you got to go back to the drawing board there. And so, um, but there is a process. This is what I want to say. If you want to be mature spiritually, you have to take your mind by the reins with the help of the Holy Spirit and steer your mind and steer your heart where God wants it to go. Okay, let me say that again. If you want to be mature spiritually, you have to take your mind by the reins with the help of the Holy Spirit and steer your mind where God wants it to go, okay? You're not gonna get there by default. This is why the Bible talks about taking our thoughts captive. Just because you have a little thought run around your head doesn't mean you should entertain it and chase it. Like, we have to take our thoughts captive and with the word of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit, steer our thoughts where God wants it to go. Okay, so today I'm going to give, um, I'm going to make four points of this, how to cultivate a spiritually mature thought life. Okay, how to cultivate a spiritually mature thought life. If you've never made the correlation between your thought life and being spiritually mature, realize that those go together, okay? Those are, those are one and the same. How to cultivate a spiritually mature thought life. Number one, guard, your, guard what your eyes see and what your ears hear. Okay, guard what your eyes see and what your ears hear. Listen, don't let just anything into your eyes and into your ears, all right? <clears throat> this is probably one of the most invasive messages that I have ever given at this church. And so um, I'm about to get up in your business, okay? <clears throat> but listen, I'm, I'm afraid that this point that I just made is so simple that you might not understand how important this is. Don't just let anything into your eyes. Don't just let anything into your ears. I'm going to say some things that I think are blatantly obvious for Christians, and then I'll like move on to some less obvious things here. One of the very obvious things of you sh what you should not let into your eyes and ears is things like pornography, right? Pornography is, is destructive. Okay, and Emily prayed over that, and if that's something you're struggling with, we believe that there's you know, deliverance for you, and we believe that God wants to set you free and connect you with the right relationships to have freedom over that. But I want to give, let me give you five reasons why pornography is destructive, okay? Number one, it kills real intimacy and connection. Number two, it's addictive. It actually controls and preoccupies your mind. If something's preoccupying your mind all day, you can't get your mind off it. That's addictive by nature, okay? Um, number three, it promotes impulsiveness. 
Something that every person we all need to learn is delayed gratification, right? Especially people who are under the age of 25 before the frontal lobes of their brain are fully developed. It's really important we, we um, develop the skill of delayed knowing and having delayed gratification in our life. So pornography promotes impulsiveness. Number four, it objectifies people who were created in God's image, all right? Number five, it devalues you. Ultimately, you're not loving yourself when you're doing that. Now, you're not, you're not less valuable to God, but you are treating yourself as you're less valuable, okay? It isn't loving God. It isn't loving the people you're looking at. It isn't loving yourself, okay? And by the way, this is not just a man issue, right? My wife has counseled women who are completely addicted to pornography. Like, it's, it's totally a woman issue as well in our culture, becoming more and more the case. For this reason in particular, um, they say the average age of someone's first exposure, the average age of someone's first exposure to internet pornography is at the age of 11. That's, that's average, okay? So some are younger, 9, 10, you know, some are a little older. That's the average age of someone's first exposure to pornography. For this reason... My wife and I in our home, we have um, filtering and accountability um, programs on, on every single device we have in our home. Like all of our computers, my phone, her phone, everything we have in our home. And um, my wife gets a report every week of what everyone looked at that week on the internet, right? And listen, it, that's not because I had an addiction problem or anything like that. It's just because we wanted to keep that stuff out of our home and stay above board. Okay, and I'm, I'm personally an accountability partner for several Several men, you know, they, I get their report. I'm, a, I'm personally accountability partner. We talk about that and, and stuff like that. But listen, if you're stuck in that place, I just want to encourage you, do whatever it takes to get out of that place. Do whatever it takes to get help. And there are people that can help you. And I will just say this, in addition to that, know what your triggers are. If you're, if you're um, more susceptible when you're depressed, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, those kind of things, know those triggers and make people around you aware of those triggers so that they can keep an eye on you and watch out for you. And don't fight this fight alone. Amen? Okay. But when you're looking at stuff like, like pornography, you're giving your mind over, you're giving your imagination over to those things. All right? So those are pretty obvious to me, right? I hope most Christians probably agree that pornography is a very destructive thing. Okay. Um, but I'm going to meddle a little bit more in your business, okay? So you just take this and... I don't know, digest it and, you know, sometimes it's okay if you hear something up here and it hurts a little bit. That's okay, right? You guys didn't come here just to have your ears tickled, right? Okay, good. Another thing, um, just, this is just the way my wife and I have chosen to live, not because we're pastors, but because we have this conviction as believers. One thing that we do not typically do, we typically don't watch rated R movies, my wife and I. Now, if there's a movie we really want to see that's rated R, then we'll actually research why is that movie rated R. Okay, some, there's some stories you can't tell without it being rated R. I'll give you an example. I'll give you three examples. Passion of the Christ is rated R, right? You can't tell that story in an accurate way without it being rated R. Braveheart's rated R. Black Hawk Down's rated R. Those are all good movies, by the way. <laughs> all the guys said, Amen. So there's some cases where if the story can't be told without it being radar, um, we might watch it. But if it has nudity or excessive profanity in it, we won't watch it, right? Why is that? Because I know, I know seeing naked women isn't good for my heart, isn't good for my mind. And I know that having excessive pro, um, profanity in my home, it grinds on me. I don't want that in my home. I don't want that in my heart. And I don't want that in my mind, okay? I just... 
give that to you today to, to challenge you, all right? Um, I've read this scripture before, but Matthew um, chapter 5, verses 27 through 28, Jesus said this, talking about the lust of the heart. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his heart, okay? Jesus wasn't redefining the definition of adultery, but he was saying, unfaithfulness, it's a matter of the heart. The Pharisees are like, I'm not having an affair, so I'm clear of this. Jesus is like, no, if you're looking upon a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery in your heart. In some ways, you know, did Jesus preach the law? Actually, Jesus preached a lot on steroids sometimes. Like, he said, oh, you think you're righteous, right? Let me show you that you're not righteous, right? Because ultimately, we need to come to the end of ourselves and know that we, need to, we all need a savior, right? Okay. And by the way, ladies, and again, this isn't just a isn't just a male issue, but ladies, if you were wishing you were married to a different, if you ever wished you were married to a different man, um, that's affecting your heart too. That's, that's, the same, that's the same thing, all right? You might not think it's hurting you to look lustfully, um, but it actually, it actually is hurting you. It's bad for your heart, okay? Job chapter 31, verse one, Job says this. <clears throat> Job, a righteous man. I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. He just made an agreement, like, is a young woman, she's beautiful, whatever. I've made, made a covet in my eyes. I'm not going to look at her lustfully. That is not to say it's, it's not a sin. It's not wrong to notice that someone's beautiful. It's not a sin wrong, you know, to notice that someone's very handsome. My wife and I, all the time, we're like, wow, that is one gorgeous woman. That is a stunning man over there. You know what I mean? We're talk, like, that's not a sin, right? That is a gorgeous couple right there. Man, they got it all together, you know? We do that all the time. But to, the step further than that is like, I wish that was my wife. I wish that was my husband, you know? And then to have a fantasy in your heart about them. That's where, well, that's where the, the line is drawn, okay? To look upon a, a woman lustfully in your heart. Um, okay, so again, that's why we typically hardly ever watch rated R movies, okay? Because we're protecting, I'm protecting what goes in. I think some people are surprised by like what's coming out of their heart, you know, what they're saying and what's going on. It's like, well, what are you letting into your heart? What are you letting into your eyes? Like, start there. Put a guard over your eyes. Put a guard over your ears, okay? Um, something that's a little less obvious, and I'm not going to go down a list of like TV shows or music or apps or whatever that I think are acceptable, but I'm, I'm personally surprised many times by Christians what they'll, they'll be talking about the kind of show that they're watching, the thing that they're into. I'm like, seriously? Like, you're a believer and you're watching that. You're putting that into your eyes and you're putting that into your to ears. I'm personally shocked by the lack of filter that professing Christians have for what they're letting into their eyes and to their ears, okay? With that in mind, um, um, listen to this verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, it says this, but among you there must not, um, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, Okay, not even a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Okay? Now, if you're not a, if you're not a Christian, I wouldn't expect you to care. Sometimes we read scriptures and we expect the world to care about them. They don't care. I don't expect them to care, right? All right, they don't have to live up to our standards of rules because they don't know Jesus. Like, all right, but if you're a Christian, I would think you would care about what Paul just said here. Paul is talking to believers, right? He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers here. And listen, the Bible, we come to Jesus. It's by grace, through faith. It's not of our works. We don't have to clean ourselves up to come to God. But that process of maturity and becoming more Christ-like, 
is a matter of following the Holy Spirit, um, reading the word of God and applying it in, in our everyday lives. That's how we become more mature. That's how we become more like Jesus. That's what God's goal for you is, by the way, is to be more like Jesus, okay? And so the Bible outlines not just how to get saved and a way of salvation to Jesus. But then after that, it says, now live like this. Here's a way to live. Here's, here's the mark to shoot for. Here's the goal to shoot for. Here's how you can shine in your world, okay? God doesn't want you to just, the goal isn't just to get you to heaven, right? The goal is to get heaven into you, right? And then get heaven into your world through you, okay? So enough of this consumer Christianity where we become the church pastor gives you a good message, Right? And you take it home, and eh, I didn't kind of like, I don't know, he kind of stumbled over those words, and the music wasn't quite right, and the chair wasn't, the chairs are better now. <laughs> but listen, we're not here to, I hope you're not here to be entertained. I hope there's, you know, I hope this is fun, we're together, I hope it's entertaining. But we're not, the goal of us being here is not entertaining. This is to get filled up, to have fellowship with one another, encourage one another, and then to send each other back out into the world to transform this world that we live in. Amen? Yeah. All right. So, with that, I'm going to tell a coarse joke. <laughs> it says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, coarse jesting. Here's a coarse joke. A sheet of sandpaper walks into a bar. The bartender says, hey, why are you so abrasive? It's a very coarse joke, right? <laughs> very coarse. That was awesome. I love that no one laughed. I love that. <laughs> I love that we're laughing at the fact that we didn't laugh. <laughs> That's okay. All right, more we could say on that whole thing. Um, that was a long, one of my long points, but more we could say on this. I say, this to say, I say all that to say this. Let the Holy Spirit, I don't need to give you a list of shows, TVs, apps, music that's acceptable. Let the Holy Spirit challenge you in your walk with him. Like, go to, go to the next level with him. Let him challenge you. Let him say, hey, I don't like that. I don't like that music that you'll see. Yeah, just because it was creative, the person who made it, like sometimes I think we, just because something was creative, it's okay. It's like, it's defiling and demonic. This is carpet. There, we're good. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Just because someone created it and they were creative when they did it doesn't mean it's like the most amazing thing in the world. I think that's sometimes like the only thing for us. I say all to say, let the Holy Spirit challenge you. Let him speak to you about what you listen to, what you let in your eyes, what you let in your ears. Amen? Okay. So guard what your eyes see, what your ears hear. That's point number one. Point number two, how to cultivate a spiritually mature thought life. Number two is speak carefully. Okay, what does this have to do with being spiritually mature and having a spiritually mature thought life? Why should we speak carefully? Because your words, my words, have power. They have the power to give life. They have the power to defile, okay? In Matthew chapter 15, the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and and Jesus' disciples were eating with unwashed hands. And there was a tradition of the, of the elders that they would wash their hands. And so why, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders by eating with unwashed hands? This is what Jesus said to them, Matthew, Matthew 15, verses uh, 10 through 11. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them or makes them unclean. All right, skip down to verse uh, 17. <clears throat> Do you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Okay? 
So listen, even if it's in your heart, and you, just because you thought it does not mean you should say it, right? <laughs> just because you thought it, and it, maybe it was clever, and maybe it was witty, but just because you thought it doesn't mean you should speak it out, especially if it's critical to someone else, right? There's a time for critical feedback to each other if we're doing it in love. But when we're slandering, backbiting, going behind people's back, this is actually spreading defilement with our words, okay? All right? So don't give it life just because you thought it. Why? Because you, your words have power. Proverbs 18.21 says that power, the power of life and death is actually in the tongue. We are created in God's likeness and image. And when God created the universe, he, he spoke. He used words, right? We're created in his image, so our words have power. Like, we're not God's creating universes, but, but our words in our world and in our sphere of influence have influence over people, and they have power in our lives. And we need to be careful with what we say. King David said this in Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. David's like, God, help me to keep my big mouth shut when I need to keep it shut, right? Last week we read, we read the verse that there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. It takes discernment to know which one we're supposed to do at a certain time, right? But listen, everyone repeat this with me. God, help me keep my big mouth shut. All right, that's basically what David said here, right? David's praying a prayer, God, keep watch over the door of my lips because it, it can spread defilement, it can give life, and it can give death, okay? So your words create an atmosphere. Your words can bring life, your words can bring defilement. We'll probably in the future do a whole series on, on the power of our, of our words, but um, we'll move on for now. Okay, so number one, guard what your eyes see, what your ears hear. Number two, speak carefully. Point number three, how to cultivate a spiritually mature thought life. Number three is exercise, period. No, just kidding. Exercise forgiveness. Probably talk about exercise at some point, right? Exercise forgiveness, okay? If you want to steward a healthy heart, you need to forgive early and you need to forgive often. I know this can be a sticking point and this can be hard for some people. I just want to put it out there. And again, with the Holy Spirit, ask him to help you or if you have people in your life, you have relationships that help you walk through. Sometimes unforgiveness can be difficult. I understand that. But listen, unforgiveness will muddy the waters of your heart. Unforgiveness, it's not okay. I'll just say that, okay? It's not okay for you to perpetually run around not forgiving a bunch of people and having a bunch of offenses. It is not okay. You're not living up to your potential. I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying that to call you higher, okay? And so um, it muddies the water of our heart. It makes it harder to hear God's voice. It makes it harder to know God's will. It makes it harder to feel God's presence and discern what he's doing. When we have unforgiveness in our hearts, it just creates yuck in our heart and it, and it muddies the water of our hearts, okay? Ephesians 4.30-32, through 32, it says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and slander, brawling, I'm sorry, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other as Christ Jesus forgave you, okay? Notice the correlation between actually grieving the heart of God and walking in unforgiveness. It actually grieves the heart of God when we don't get over things and we don't forgive one another. And that doesn't mean you sweep everything under the rug. Sometimes that means having a healthy confrontation. Hey, what you did hurt me. Hey, I need to talk to you. Hey, will you forgive me? Going to people, asking forgiveness, going to people, hey, um, I need help here. I want to have a good relationship with you, but you said this thing to me. You know, you did this thing to me. You know, that's a, those things are totally good, but deal with it, okay? Deal with it and then move on. Amen? And listen, and we'll talk more about forgiveness in the future too. 
Forgiveness, for those who've been ultra hurt by something crazy, terrible in your life, forgiveness doesn't always equal full reconciliation. Those are two different things. Okay, most people in your life, you just forgive, you reconcile, you move on. There are some cases where forgiveness and reconciliation are not synonymous, so we'll talk about that later. But listen, he says, as God forgave you, in the same way that God forgave you, okay, forgive others. I love it that God isn't asking us to do something that he isn't willing to do himself, right? He's not like, you forgive those people, I'm not going to forgive you. He's only asking us to do what he's done for us, right? Only the difference is he's erased a mountain of debt for us, and usually what we're doing is holding a rock in our hands, and this is our unforgiveness, and there's a mountain that he's erased. It doesn't compare. He's like, listen, in the same way that I erased that mountain, just toss that stone over your shoulder, move on, forgive him. It's good for your heart. Amen? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. All right? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting to hurt the other person. It's actually just hurting you. Okay? It's bad for your heart. Okay, point number four, how to cultivate a spiritually mature thought life. Last one is create margin for God to influence your thoughts. Okay? Create margin for God to influence your thoughts. We are inundated in our culture, 21st century. We are inundated with things coming our way. I, think, I don't think we're necessarily busier than some of the previous generations. I think our, our marginal time is just filled up so much faster. And it seems like we're busy all the time. Some people legitimately are busy all the time. I think we, we fill up that margin with other stuff so fast. I highlighted this last week when we talked about waste of time, but, um, you know, with, with the devices we use and different things like that, but we, um, when we constantly are filling our lives and have no marginal time to let God influence our hearts, we, we cloud creativity, we, we, um, it keeps us, it's harder to discern God's will, it's harder to hear his voice, and uh, to illustrate this point, I have a, I have a video I want to play that talks about um, boredom. So go ahead and roll that. In a recent study, participants were placed in a room for between 6 and 15 minutes. They were given nothing except a button that they knew would shock them if they pressed it. They were asked to entertain themselves with their thoughts, but they could self-administer the shock if they so chose. So what happened? Well, 25% of women and 67% of men shocked themselves. This is despite the fact that they had previously told the experimenters that they would pay money to avoid the shock. Apparently, they'd rather experience physical pain than just be bored, to have nothing to keep them occupied but their thoughts. But they are not alone. Around 95% of American adults report participating in some leisure activities over the past 24 hours, but only 17% say they spent any time at all just relaxing and thinking. Because that, apparently, is boring, and being bored is unpleasant. So what is boredom? Well, contrary to popular belief, it's not when you have absolutely nothing to do. It's just when none of the options you have available to you appeal to you. Boredom is characterized by a lack of concentration, restlessness, but also feeling lethargic. It's really a state of being underwhelmed. And there are now more ways than ever to avoid boredom. With Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, not to mention my chronic news habit, waiting in line, sitting in a coffee shop, stopped at a traffic light, many people reach for their phones to stave off boredom and nowhere is sacred. Do you ever just let yourself be bored? No, no, I generally don't. 
but are we losing anything by avoiding boredom? Well, scientific research says yes. And what we're losing is important. When you're bored, your mind wanders. That's only natural. The state of boredom is one where your attention is not focused on anything in particular. Researchers have shown this mind-wandering is useful for creativity. They gave study participants a random boring task. The most boring one? Reading the phone book. Then they asked participants to be creative, generate as many ideas as they could for what you could do with a plastic cup. Those in the most boring read the phone book condition generated the most creative solutions compared to less bored controls. Studies have also shown that boredom may make you more altruistic. Perhaps the acute sense of aimlessness you experience when you're bored gets out of control and makes you question what you're doing with your life as a whole. But the silver lining is that it may trigger you to think about others and what you can do to help them. And that provides an immediate and concrete purpose to a life that might momentarily feel like it's lacking one. You know, studies designed to induce boredom have shown that more bored participants are more likely to donate to charity or to give blood. Can I ask what led you to donate blood today? Um, I had free time on my hands, you know, just waiting till two hours, an hour and a half or so. So apparently the opportunity to do meaningful, even if unpleasant activities, have more value if you're bored than if you're not. Similarly, this aimless state seems to cultivate thoughts about what you want to do with your life. To think of your life as a story and consider where you want it to go in the future. This is called autobiographical planning. When given tasks that only use a fraction of mental capacity, study participants frequently thought of the future and their plans for it. In this way, being bored is essential for goal setting. If your brain is always consumed with other stimuli, you'll rarely ponder the bigger picture and set long-term goals for yourself and consider how to achieve them. So every time you're waiting for something, you have a decision to make, which seems like a tiny one. Pull out your phone for a few seconds or minutes or just be bored. Experience only your thoughts. It seems like an insignificant decision. And if you don't give it much thought, the obvious action is to see what's new on your app of choice. And in making that decision, you are alleviating a moment of boredom. But you are also likely making yourself less creative, less altruistic, less likely to assess your current state, and less likely to set goals for your future. In short, you are the real-world example of someone shocking themselves to avoid the unpleasantness of boredom. Except in your case, the pain goes much deeper to the very nature of who you are and who you will become. So think carefully before pressing that button. It's pretty cool, huh? Again, it's not evil or wrong to look at your phone or have these apps and stuff like that. But do you guys know Dr. Caroline Leaf? She's a Christian neuroscientist. Super, super powerful. If you, anything she does is, is awesome. She talks about, one thing I, I heard a talk recently with her, where she talks about um, the importance of taking like a 16 or 17 minute span in your day and just doing nothing. Not, not reading, not praying, just like doing nothing. And actually it's really important um, for our brains, the way that we, our brains actually reorganize in that, in that time, we become more creative and it categorizes things and our brains reorganize and we just have that time of literally nothing. 
And in fact, um, I, I heard this talk recently, just the way that like social media is, for example, just that scrolling, that is not how our brains were desi- designed. Our brains were designed to categorize. But when you have like things like, I'm engaged, next thing, grandpa died, Next thing, um, if you don't share this with 10 people, you're going to go to hell, you know. <laughs> Our brains weren't actually made to go like boom, 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 you know, like that. Our brains were made to, to categorize things. So it's that 15, 16, 17 minute span will help you. Um, and Dr. Caroline Leaf, the Christian neuroscientist, um, reinforces that. Something I, I think is interesting, I'm, I, I'll say this again, I'm kind of a science guy. I like science. I'm kind of a nerd in that way. And so I know a little bit about, like, Einstein, Albert Einstein. Have you ever heard of Albert Einstein? Yeah. Yeah? You've heard of him? Okay, yeah. Pretty, pretty famous guy. Listen, no one knew or cared about Albert Einstein in his early 20s. He had graduated, became a physicist, and could not get, Albert Einstein could not get into being a, a study and, and being a professor teaching physics. He got hired in a, at a Swiss patent office, Okay. And the work for him was pretty easy. He learned pretty quick how to strip down the, the patents and, and realize you know, whether they could be patented or not. And he worked six days a week, but he got through his work pretty quickly, and this gave him ample time to just daydream. Albert Einstein, in his young 20s, through daydreaming, staring out the window, came up with revolutionary equations and things that we use today, to this day. Like... And he, because he was just bored, he would just let his mind drift and he would ponder what light is like and what, what gravity is like. In fact, he didn't even become a professor at a university until close to his 30s. Most of his revolutionary things and things that we know about the atom and, and light was from his early 20s working in a patent office. Like not even in the field that he was in, he was just bored. He was bored and letting his mind drift. And so my encouragement to you today is like, have that margin in your life because listen, you're God's, the, the, the mind of Christ, God has given us the mind of Christ, and we cultivate that mind of Christ. There is a brilliance. Each of you possess a brilliance that God wants you to have. We're not, you know, I'm not going to come up with equations, <laughs> but there is a brilliance that God wants to display through each of us in a unique way. And I think this is huge in our culture. We're inundated with things. Listen, I have apps on my phone. I turn the notifications off. Like, I don't need to know when someone posted something on Facebook in the middle of the day. Turn the, turn the notifications off and then plan on checking it. I'll check it tonight. You know what I mean? Because I don't want my day to be interrupted with just stupid things. But if you get on there later in the evening and it's an allowed time, you know, that's totally okay. My encouragement is to let God have that margin in your life. And let, you know, so if, here's, here's a hypothetical thing you could do. If a lot of people have an hour of quiet time a day, Spend some time in the Word, maybe 15 minutes in the Word, in the Bible, because we need to renew our minds with the Bible, amen? Spend some time in prayer asking, petition, you know, God help with this, God help that person, you know, your prayers and petitions. And then I would, I would encourage you, take 15, 16, 17 minutes and just be silent. Don't pray, just think and let God speak to your heart. And then after that, if he gives you stuff, journal it, write it down. And that's like a super cool thing. A lot, I think a lot of people go to their quiet time, spend time with the Lord. They, they're busy the whole time. They read, then they pray, and then they're out the door. You know what I mean? I actually think it's really important to have a moment in there of just, of just nothing. Just letting your thoughts be there. Let God speak to your heart. Amen? All right. One last verse for you, and then we'll, we'll uh, close here. Proverbs 18, 23, it says this. Above all else. Everyone say, above all else. Above all else. Above all else guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do, everything you are, flows from your heart and the way you think and how those work together, okay? 
It is so worth protecting. It is so worth cultivating. It is so worth stewarding. Don't leave it to default. Bring that into your relationship with God. Bring that into your disciplines and let God cultivate that in you. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray and I'm going to have Emily come up. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everyone here, Lord God. Help us, God, to, um, to guard our hearts, Lord God. Help us to guard what we see and what we hear. God, help us to speak carefully with our words, Lord. Help us to exercise forgiveness. Help us create to create that margin in our lives for you to influence our hearts. Lord God, we just yield up our minds, God. We yield up our hearts to you, God. And God, if you're just speaking right now, I just pray, Lord God, yeah, just speak, Lord. If there's an area of your life that God wants to challenge and an area that, um, a door that he's, a room he's not able to go in in your heart, I just pray that you would let him in that door. And so God, we just love you. We thank you. You're good and you have amazing plans for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.